Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. I'm happy to welcome Barnabas Piper onto the podcast today. Barnabas is the assistant pastor at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. He's an author, one of the hosts of the Happy Rant Podcast, and uh, he's a husband and the father of two teenage girls. Barnabas, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Well, uh, as we start our conversation about uh, pastors, kids, and everything, uh, I think it's helpful to remember that we were all teenagers once, and part of that is car accidents. I just had one of my youth group students this week, uh, had got his license just a few months ago, spent his hard-earned money on his first car, and wrecked it uh, just two days ago, and is completely devastated and heartbroken. <laughs> and I was like, bro, trust me, we have all been there. So Barnabas, let's hear the story of your first car accident. Yeah. So I was, uh, so I grew up in Minnesota. That's an important part of this because it, weather, weather is a factor in this, not to be blamed, but it is a factor. Yes. yes. Um, I am, I am also the fourth of four boys and then I have a younger sister. So by the time I came around, I think my parents had learned a lot about, uh, dealing with car accidents because there had been many by, by the previous drivers <laughs> in my family. Um, my first car accident. So I was, it was, it would have been late nineties, 1999 ish. Uh, but I, but I was driving a, I think a 1990 Dodge spirit, which is like the most generic, boring four door sedan ever. We were, we were mostly a one car family. Um, I was the only driver left at home at that point. So we didn't need a bunch and we lived close to the church where my dad served. So he walked to and from, so we could generally get away with one car. So it was the family car. Um, I had driven it to a youth group thing at a friend's house in the North suburbs of Minneapolis and was driving home, um, in pretty heavy snow. Um, and I had driven and like, I got my license, uh, in the snow and, you know, took my test, took my driver's test after like a 10 or 12 inch snowfall. Uh, so this, this wasn't foreign to me, but I just, you know, I was all hopped up on like Mountain Dew and testosterone. And so I was just, I was flying down the freeway and took a curve. So I passed a huge group of cars who were driving appropriately slow. I passed them all going inappropriately fast and proceed to just, the car goes completely perpendicular to the lanes you're just I hit I hit a guardrail and spin twice across four or five lanes of traffic. So I just I don't remember much other than seeing the headlights of a semi truck facing me oh my twice gosh. as I spun in front of it and ended up on the other shoulder. And this was pre cell phones. So I mean, there were cell phones in existence, but they weren't nobody they didn't yeah. they weren't the norm. So I then just sat there and waited for somebody to show up who could help me. Uh, and the car would still run, but it wouldn't drive. Everything was, you know, twisted. And so, you know, I, 
I don't think I knew what to do either. So I just called my dad once a nice person showed up who had a cell phone. Yeah. And uh, just to tell you how different of an era this was, you know, I call my dad. I'm like, hey, I got in an accident. He did the very fatherly thing of immediately asking, are you okay? Which yeah. that parents, that's a really good first question. It sets the, the tone right first question of not, you know, not immediately lighting me on fire. Um, then he proceeded to, he's like, all right, well, stay there and somebody will come get you. Turns out the person to come get me was the tow truck. So he called the service station, <laughs> got it set up. I just jumped in yeah. with the tow truck driver and they hauled the car back. And uh, so that was my first car accident uh, on I-35 in the north side of Minneapolis in a snowstorm at age, I was probably 17 at that point. And, uh, oh, man. That could have gone I've, very wrong. Oh, yeah. It, and I was too young to know that how terrifying that should have been. You know, I think I think I just didn't have any any concept. Like, I don't even remember being rattled afterwards. Like, in terms of sort of emotionally, yeah. I do remember that every time I took that curve for about the next five years, oh, I was in the time. right lane doing like forty, <laughs> which is the only time I'm ever in the right lane doing forty. Yeah, yeah. It was a that was it. But the, yeah, the things that stand out to me are no cell phone, riding with a stranger in a tow truck as a teenager because that's what my dad told me to do. And, yeah. but my dad's immediate response of, are you okay? And then just calmly being like, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. And he never yelled at me for it. Like there was never a sense of, you know, he didn't, he didn't like verbally beat me up over it, which was, it set a, it set a bar for me. Cause I now have a driver in the home who has been an offender bender and it, it helped me yeah. not. It's like, oh, that's a, that's a good way to handle that. All right. So, so are you. When you head back up to Minnesota, do you give your daughter driving lessons in the snow? Because you're in Nashville now, and um, <laughs> we don't get snow here. When, when, yeah. yeah, I I wish I could. We have not. I don't think she has been where there is snow since she got her license. Just because we don't. Yeah, going to Minnesota in the winters. That's not the ideal time to visit. Let's just put yeah. it that way. So, yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. we will likely be up there in the winter this this coming maybe this coming yeah. Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. So, uh, yeah, she'll get she'll get some lessons if there's real snow on the ground, and uh, it'll be it'll be a fun challenge for her. Yeah, nice. I, I was talking with some friends uh, over in the California in, in Southern California, and they were like, "Oh, you know, in Boston, do you just wear you know tire chains?" all winter long because i'm like no you would literally you would get pulled over by the police and say take those things off you're gonna ruin the road what yeah, you're chewing you're up the road yeah not, yeah you, not a lot. tire chains are necessary if you live in like the rockies or like the adirondacks yeah. but yeah you know you yeah. just you just yeah, you just do it you basically drive like you have an open pitcher of like lemonade sitting on the back seat of the car and you don't want to spill it that's like if you just yeah. want a basic or something that's how you drive in the snow I didn't yep. know that at 17 and I was driving like it was, well, you, know, you learned, right? The Indy <laughs> 500. How, I did. Yeah, I did. I learned a lot. That's, that's, that's how we learn. Well, anyway, this isn't an episode on driving in the snow as much fun <laughs> as that would be. Uh, we're talking about pastors, kids and ministry to pastors, kids. So I think it's helpful just to remember um, a lot of our listeners are youth pastors who have kids. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of hitting at this topic from both the youth pastor as mom or dad 
and the youth pastor as a minister to pastor's kids. So, yeah. um, you know, we're kind of going to ping pong back and forth between those two approaches to things. Um, I, I think obviously, you know, pastor's kids have uh, the same basic spiritual needs as, as everyone else, uh, but there's baggage, right? So Barnabas, uh, can yeah. you help us unpack a little bit some of that? What was some of the unique baggage that goes along with being a pastor's kid? Yeah, it's uh, unique is a good word for it because there, there's not. I mean, they're, they're the kind of the category of ministry kid sits by itself. Now, I, missionary kids might fit into some of this yep. as well, but just sort of yep. vocational ministry kids are in a are in a unique spot. Um, particularly, I'd say I'd say the pressures the the two main pressures that that if I could put it into buckets are the pressure to uh, be and act a certain way to basically live up to expectations that are placed on you. Uh, and yep. then the other is to believe a certain way. You fall in line with the beliefs you have been given. Um, and both of those can be very veiled. Um, so take the, the first one to, to be and act a certain way, to behave a certain way. I remember growing up many times uh, when I was told, you can't do that. You're a pastor's kid. Um, you know, ranging from like running in church to playing pranks on the Sunday school teachers to, you know, pulling into the parking lot too fast, listening to loud music, um, whatever it was, you can't do that. You're a pastor's kid. People felt what, what made it stand out though, was a, the phrase pastor's kid. You can't do that. You're a pastor's kid. Not, you can't do that. It's wrong, which would have bothered me, but at least it would have been like, that's a, as a generalized standard for Christian yeah. kids. You don't do that. That's okay. wrong. Yeah. Um, the other thing was the freedom that people felt to tell me how I should live, despite the fact that like, you don't tell other people's kids how to, how to behave. The pastor's kid has, there, there was, there yeah. was a different sort of freedom. Um, and then the, what happened was that I became aware that people's eyes were on me often. Um, you know, so there's just sort of a low grade constant pressure not to disappoint people. Or if you're the more rebellious type to be like, fine, I'm just going to piss everybody off. Um, and I had moments of that. I generally tended more towards like, I'm, I'm going to kind of bend to their will because it's not worth the fight or I'm going to be sneaky about it. Um, on the belief side that trickles in though, because what you get is, there's a, if there's a separate standard for behavior, then that means like there's a leveled up standard for everything else. And it all sort of skews the perspective on what am I supposed to be as a Christian kid? You know, if if we're just trying to raise kids in a non pressured context, we want to give them a Christian standard of life because of the gospel. We give our lives to Christ and then we live in a way that honors Christ. Well, pastors, kids, there's, there's layers built in there because it's, you give your life to your last name. You, the, the pressures are based on don't disappoint people, don't let the family down, don't whatever. And so there's there's not a sense of what does it look like for me to follow Jesus faithfully? And then what does it look like for me to screw up and repent? There's not a lot of room for screwing up and repenting in, in the pressure that a pastor's kid feels. And some of that's behavior driven. Um, but also the flip side of that is that there's there's uh 
there's a lot of pride in it too. But that, that was, my, I think that's where my struggle tended towards. So it wasn't so yeah. much existential. What do I believe or how do I live as much as I'm really good at this. I, I excel at this, that kind of thing. Um, and so it was the, uh, you know, I remember taking a ton of pride in knowing the answers in Sunday school or, um, yeah. Being able to handle the tough biblical questions or beat other people at Bible memory contests, none of which has a lot to do with my soul. And so I, I'll, I'll stop rambling now, but that was, it's kind of those two things. There's a ton of pressure to live up to an expectation. And then there's this sort of skewed spiritual identity potentially of, I don't really know what I believe, but I'm really good at playing a spiritual part, or I have all sorts of deep spiritual questions that are not safe to let out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I think I, as I hear you kind of talking that through and I'm thinking about my own experience. So I, I'm not a pastor's kid, but um, I do have a 14 year old and an 11 year old. So um, as a youth pastor, my son is in youth group. He's going into high school next year and my daughter's going into middle school next year. So um, I'll have two kids in youth group. And I just know when I'm not around, people go to my son and they ask him questions about, you know, the youth group calendar or, hey, this is going on. You know, what do you know about this event that your dad's not telling mm -hmm. people like and they pump him for for inside info about stuff. And I, I do just wonder sometimes um, how much how much inside info I should hold off from telling him so that way he can honestly say, I don't know. You know? Yeah. And, and that's a tricky one too, because the, the, the uh, part of being the trick about being a pastor's kid is that you're a kid. And so you don't yeah. like, if somebody came to me and asked me, you know, what's the next sermon series at Emmanuel? Well, it's not, it's not really up to me. I might be, right. I might be in the loop. Yeah. But I would, I could very freely and politely say, I'm not sure you're going to ask TJ, our senior pastor, like he's, I'm th he's thinking about it. Um, a, a kid sounds like a snot if they say that. I don't know. Ask my dad. Like that, that sounds potentially disrespectful. So you have the age, mm -hmm. kind of the age respect dynamic, as well as the, you know, there's the weird, like, I'm just a kid. I, I think if I was in your shoes, I would probably give my child permission to basically say some polite version of that's not my job. Um, I don't work yeah. here, but yeah, emphasis on polite because people love to take <laughs> things the wrong way or report back to you how snotty your kid is. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gen Z is nothing if not polite. Right. So, <laughs> I think, yeah. I they're think so, they're so good at, at looking people in the eye and responding <laughs> respectfully to things. They excel at I think, it. I think he is usually just like either, I don't know, or I'm not supposed to tell you, but I do know. Right. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's a secret. I know. Um, that's, that's hey, really so, what, yeah, you should just, you should give him permission to just make things up. Be like, it's yeah. a, it's a huge secret and I can't oh, tell he, you. He d I forget what the example was. He actually did that on his own. And I was so proud of him because he was just so <laughs> messing with people. And, and the I'm, answer was, it was going to be like, when's the next event? And he, and the answer is like Friday and we're having pizza, but he's like, it's a huge secret. I can't tell you. <laughs> it, it was something completely ridiculous that he made up. 
and the the person he talked that he told actually believed him and yeah i i was i was very proud <laughs> my, my sarcastic good for him yeah i would proud. yeah encourage yeah. shenanigans like, well done, pastors kids need to have freedom to, mess, to with mess with people yes yeah uh, so you talked with a lot of other pastors' kids when you wrote the book, The Pastors' Kid, uh, a few, but that mm-hmm. was a few years ago. So uh, in, in those conversations and, and interviews and um, the, the conversations that you had following its release, uh, what are some things from those conversations with other pastors' kids that uh, that still stands out for you that would probably be helpful for youth pastors to hear? Yeah, the, two things off the top of my head stand out to me. One is I would consider a a negative to be aware of. And the other is a positive that is, that can only be credited to God's mercy. The negative is how universal the struggles that pastors kids have. And when I say universal, so I, for the book, I I sent out kind of a a written interview type of thing to maybe 50 ish pastors kids, and then talked to a bunch of others, uh, probably a 30 or 40 year age spread ranging from teenagers up to, you know, close to retirement age, um, multiple denominations, male and female. And with, with one exception, they all shared a keen sense of feeling behavioral pressure, a keen sense of, um, challenge in finding their spiritual identity. And by, by spiritual identity, what I really mean is a relationship with Christ that is deeply personally connected, not that's like, I'm connected to dad's Jesus or the denominations, Jesus or whatever. Um, and then this wasn't as universal, but again, there was, there was generally some sense of tension with the church. So even if they loved the church, like I grew up loving the church, I didn't have a, I didn't have an antagonistic relationship with the church, Mm -hmm. but there are tensions because the church is where it, it's kind of the magnifying glass that that shines that that pressure and that stuff on you, the expectations that that feel like they're they're burning sometimes. Um, and for some people, it was like, yeah, my dad never showed up to anything because he was always sucked into the church stuff. That sounds yeah. like a dad problem more than a church problem, but it's a both and. Yeah. So the universality of these pressures and these things is it's just across the board. Doesn't matter if there's a if they have a great relationship with their parents. It doesn't matter what kind of church it is. If it's a thousand people or ten thousand people or fifty people, they it, it's a scalable thing, and it just it's true for everybody to some degree. So that's the negative. So for youth ministers, what I think that means is you need to look at the pastors' kids in your ministry differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go. I would go out of my way to have a different conversation with them to basically say, what does it look like for you to feel like you can breathe easy in this space where you can be honest, where you can ask questions. And a second thing is you're the youth pastor. That means you work for the pastor's kid's dad. Like their dad is your boss. So you need to develop some kind of a trust relationship where they can talk to you or to another leader and not feel like everything is getting reported back up to dad. Um, that, that builds huge trust. So that, that's just a practical side. So that's one thing on the the positive side. The thing that I would say can only be credited to God's mercy is the sheer number of pastors, kids who I talked to, who went through a very antagonistic phase with the church and even their faith who are now either in vocational ministry, faithfully, uh, participating in a church 
or married to somebody faithfully participating in a church, which functionally means they're in vocational ministry too, because right. it's a it's a whole family vocation in some ways. Yeah, that's how this um, works. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just looked at it and I thought, you know, I wish I would have asked the question, how many of you said I will never serve at a church and now you do it? Because that that's my case. You know, yeah. there there just were points in my life where I was like, oh, absolutely not. I'm never doing that. And you know, at age 36, the Lord was like, no, you actually, you are. And it took that long for my heart to be prepared for it. Um, so that's the other side. And just the realization that so much of what's hard for ministry kids is actually kind of, kind of an apprenticeship. There is a unique preparation there for serving the church in a healthy way, because we know the ins and outs of things, the good and the bad, you know, yeah. You know, I've, I haven't been in pastoral ministry long, but having been around it for so long, I haven't run across anything that's been shocking to me yet because yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I saw dad deal with this. I've been in ch- on church staffs. I know these things in terms of crazy stuff that goes on in people's lives, both the good and the bad, you know, huge transformations as well as huge explosions. Uh, oh, I know how church budgets work. I know how the giving yeah. pattern works. Like I don't panic in November when we're behind budget because December is when the giving comes back. Like oh, that, that, you just, everybody finishes the year stronger. Yeah. These kinds of things, that's all just pastor's kid baked in stuff. Not yeah. like seminary couldn't have offered me some of that. And I, that's not to disparage seminary, but just to speak to the uniqueness. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that piece is, you know, if you've got struggling pastor's kids in your ministry, it's okay. The, the Lord might be doing the thing that it, he, he plays the long game. You know, 20 yeah. years down the road, they might be a healthy children's minister, pastor, spouse of a minister, whatever it is. And it, yeah, it, it would surprise you. Yeah, that's great. So when you were transitioning, right? I mean, you said, you know, I'll never be a pastor. I'm not going to work in the mm-hmm. church. Um, and then you, you made that shift. Um, I mean, even when you wrote the book, the pastor's kid, you weren't a pastor at that time. Right. Um, so when you did go on staff at, at Emmanuel, um, as a, as a parent, um, how did you navigate that? And what mm-hmm. sort of conversations did you have with your girls? Um, and what are you doing because of what you've learned and experienced yeah. from your own experience as a PK? Yeah, I, uh, that so i i worked in so out of college i basically worked in christian publishing it was a one slight break in there but about 14 years um because i i always loved the church at least conceptually if not in practice which means that i always wanted to work on behalf of the church and then i'd say in my 30s especially i had it i i gained and grew in my commitment to be part of the church so i thought well i'll be a dedicated member i'll work in christian publishing kind of adjacent yeah. to the church be it be the best member i can be right then the lord started to uproot me from publishing basically say i know it's going well it's not your long term answer um and moved me called me into church ministry and the conversations with my kids were so that that would have been they were a little bit younger then, but old enough to know like this is a big shift. Um, right. My older daughter was, you know, being being older and a little bit more aware at that point was a little bit more. She kind of you know kind of gave me the the squinty side eye and, and had some. She had a little bit more pointed questions about like, is this going to mess with how people perceive me? 
she was yeah. she was more aware of it. my younger daughter was like does that mean you're going to get up front and preach that's awesome and yeah. cool. so right. yeah. what what was really helpful was to be able to sit down and go you can ask me anything because i've been where you are i mean not exactly because i was born into a pastor's family but i was like there's there's nothing that you guys will experience that i don't have some familiarity with and I have a ton of empathy for you. Like, I'm not sitting here going, buck up. I made it. You can too. Um, <laughs> I also, in the conversations with with the, the pastors, you know, the ones who are kind of doing the interviewing and, and bringing me on, I just, I wrote out a lengthy list of things that I was either concerned about or conscientious of in moving into ministry and how it would affect life. And the two big ones were, how is this going to affect my kids? And, um, how is this going to affect my friendships? Because that's a whole separate podcast, but having friends as a pastor is a very different thing than having friends when you're just one of the guys. Um, and I, we, you know, there wasn't a ton of definitive answers as I talked to them, um, but their, their awareness of it, their sensitivity to it, their, their willingness to say, yeah, this is something that we are working on sorting through, have made some mistakes in and are getting better at was really helpful. Cause I was like, okay, these are guys who there's not blinders on here. Yeah. And then the culture of the church being one that we don't uphold our pastors, uh, inappropriately high. Um, there's a sense of, the pastors are members of this church too, in terms of obligation to other members, friendships, you know, mm -hmm. community, all of these things. And so um, the expectations on the pastor's family are, you know, I asked, I was like, is my wife going to be dragged into stuff? And they're like, no, not unless she, she will not do anything that she doesn't want to do. You know, right. if she comes and says, I would love to participate in this. Great. But there's no sort of first lady of the church nonsense. She could have done that anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah if she's, if she's qualified and she's gifted, great. Yeah. If not, there's no pressure on her. So mm -hmm. those were all conversations that I had just to kind of set the stage. And then I think the two big things since then that I have tried to be conscientious of, although I, I don't know how I think I've done okay at them is, um, ongoing conversations with my kids, especially as they get older. So they were elementary and middle school at the time. Now they're middle school and high school. Um, yeah. Just ongoing questions, just pretty pointed. Do you feel like people at church treat you differently because you're, because you're my child? Do you mm -hmm. feel like you can't be honest? Do you feel like this and this? And, and they can shoot straight with me. And sometimes they're like, yeah, sometimes it's frustrating. Uh, my older daughter, you know, we, we live in Nashville, which means it's very Bible belty. She said, no, I get more crap from my friends at school about being a pastor's kid than, uh, than at church. She's like at church. I feel at home. Uh, but like there was a couple years ago, she was at a friend's house and the mom was going to put on a movie for him and then was like, oh no, we probably shouldn't. Cause Grace's dad is a pastor, that kind of thing. And this is like, that's not even a church going family. Um, and so, yeah. She, she has felt some of it, but she also feels free to talk to me about it and I can't fix it yeah. for, her, but I can, I can kind of recenter her and I can encourage her. And I'm encouraged that at church, they, they have a place of feeling comfortable and safe and known and not under scrutiny. The other, so 
the conversation is one thing. The other thing is just my time. You know, am I, I'm not great at like every one day a week, I'm going to do this with my kids as much as trying to to remember the atmosphere of I'm the captain of fun in our house. You know, like I would like to be the guy who generates the laughter because when my kids move out, I want them to remember home as a place of a place they wanted to be a place of joy, a place of, you know, peace, you know, and I'm not the most easygoing guy, but like peace in the sense of like, we're not constantly on edge. Dad's not jumping down our throats. He's and, and so whether or not I'm able to give a ton of time to them on any given week, the time I do have, I want it to be good, fun, enjoyable. Uh, so those are the two things. And I, I think it's going okay so far. It helps that I'm not the senior pastor. Yeah. Senior pastors have different yeah. pressure, but yeah, yeah sure. that's, that's kind of categorically how I've worked through things. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. Um, so I guess one thing that I'm cautious of, as a dad that if if i was a youth pastor before i had kids who were in youth group um one thing that wasn't on my radar was kind of the unhealthy side of entitlement in the church Mm -hmm. and it was always um you know i've always worked into the budget to make sure that the pastor's kids had um either free admission or significantly reduced admission to um, events, retreats, um, you know, uh, things that cost money. It's just, you know, and, and I was always very diligent and just knowing that they know um, and saying, you know, you sacrifice so much for the church um, in what you give up with, you know, your dad uh, and everything. The least we can do is to let you come to Six Flags for free or to pay right. your admission for this or whatever. Um but there is also kind of a downside of giving too much of a sense of entitlement and ownership in the church. Does that make sense? Um, how, it does. How, yeah. How do you, how do you navigate that? And what, what recommendations do you have for youth pastors in affirming students, um, affirming pastors, kids and thanking them, for the sacrifices that they make and making sure they know this is a safe space for them to just be them while at the same time treating them. Um, you don't want to treat them different or have a different set of rules for yeah. them to let them get away with everything. You know, you know what I'm trying to say, right? <clears throat> yeah, I do. And I, so much of that is tied to the culture of the church as a whole. Um, you know, there are churches where there is a clear hierarchy, you know, kind of a, it, it's a bit of like a fiefdom, you know, in terms of the, you got the, the lead pastor and the pastoral staff and there's sort of a, there's, there's a Lord and his dukes and those kind. it has that vibe to it. And when that's the case, like, boy, you're fighting against entitlement. There's a sense of yeah. sort of, they walk, the, the pastor's family can easily walk into a room and be like, I own this space. I'm the captain yep. now kind of thing. And, yep. uh, not a ton you can do about that as the youth guy in that case. Like, cause you're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. If you want to create a sense of equality, I would say in that's in that case, your goal is to create relational equity with the pastor's kids, because as much as they love yeah. the ownership, they still feel fragile, judged, 
held to a different standard. So if you can, if you can pull them aside, whether it's coffee or, you know, going to top golf or whatever, and you have a conversation with them that you're just like, Hey, you get, you get to just be a teenager here. You can talk about your struggles. You could talk about, uh, you know, whatever, like you don't, you don't have to live up to being the son of, or the daughter of so-and-so yeah. that would be meaningful. Um, then their church is like, our church is not very hierarchical. So I'm just going to use it as an example. And so my kids are the oldest pastor's kids on staff right now. We have a fairly youngish staff. Most of the kids are, are younger elementary school age and stuff. Um, but that, and so in that sense, I think it's, it's almost more the opposite where for the youth minister has the opportunity there to go to either to the kids or to the parents and say, Hey, you're giving a lot to this church. We'd like to kind of quietly make this a little bit easier for you, whether that's, yeah, yeah like scholarships, you know, scholarships covering the cost of things. Um, yeah. But what, but you don't need to kind of make a, make a huge deal out of equality relationally, because a lot of that's already built in. And like, right. you don't need to stack awareness of things where they're like, wait, I thought this was normal. This is not normal. And uh, so it, you just kind of have to read the sense of where is the entitlement versus the lack of entitlement. Every pastor's kid has a need. Is it the need to take pressure off in relationally or the need to kind of take pressure off in terms of just saying, we're aware of this. We love you. We're going to try to ease this burden, whether it's financial or whatever. And then just like, go be a kid. Yeah. Go, yeah. yeah, go to Six Flags, go to whatever, and just enjoy your friends. Yeah, that, that, that's a good word. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I don't think that it's healthy to make a big show out of generosity to, towards pastors' kids. You know, so yeah, that's that's not that's not what I'm, you know, advocating or right. you know making a big statement. But if if they're saying, oh, I can't go to that because, you know, we just don't have the money for it. Then at that point, just say, hey, look, just come. We're going to take care of you. You give so much for like we're, we're happy to pay your way bowling or like just yeah. sign up and we'll figure or, it out. And and honestly, as you could be proactive as a youth pastor, like I've, I've had I've seen this happen at a couple different churches where youth pastors have done this. Well, they just circumvent the kids entirely. They reach yeah. out directly to like. Most teenagers are not paying yeah. their own way to youth That's group events. So you go goes. to the parents and just say, yeah, and you don't need to do it in terms of we know you need help. That's condescending uh, yeah. as much as, oh, hey, we're so nice. we are yeah. we're grateful. We, we want to honor you for all the ways that you serve this church. Um, yeah. we, we're happy to cover the cost of this or, you know, what, whatever verbiage yeah. is, the, is the least sort of uh, patronizing. Because yeah. then the parents can go to the kid and say, hey, we signed you up for bowling or we signed you up for Six Flags or for the retreat. Right. And the kid doesn't have to like, teenagers shouldn't be stressed about their parents' they financial situation in general. Yeah. So that if it's a financial thing, go to the parents. They're the ones who are benefiting anyway. And then the kid feels totally normal. They were signed up. They got to participate. There was minimal stress involved. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that should be how it works. Um, yeah. I just know that I've seen it. I've seen it in, in a few different areas and, and ministries that I've been a part of where sometimes when, when money is tight, um, kids hear parents talking yes. about the financial stress. So then it's, oh, hey, are you coming to this? Are you coming to that? And then you overhear 
you know, kids talking, oh, no, you know, we're just we just don't have the money to sign up for that. And so then you kind of quietly pull them aside. Yes. So it, th- yeah. That's the, the past. That's the pastoral approach that I'm advocating yeah. for that I'm poorly articulating. Um, well, and I think so, I think this is where, you know, when the when the when the Bible talks about the right hand shouldn't know what the left hand is doing financially, I, that doesn't mean we never communicate about money. It means that we never use money as a basis for pride or a basis of sort of hierarchy. So yeah, if any, any way you can quietly support and honor without causing shame or pride, there you go. Whether it's a quiet conversation with the kid because they feel the stress or with the parents so that they don't have to think about it, then you're probably doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, as, as we wrap up the conversation, is there any final word uh, that you would say to, to youth pastors, maybe who don't have kids, um, who are ministering to, to PKs in their youth ministry? Um, it, it ties back to what I was saying earlier when I said there's sort of a, the, the universality of uh, pastors' kids facing these pressures. Um, if there are pastors' kids in your ministry, or if they are your own kids— both and ask blunt questions in private contexts. So not in front of other kids where they're not going to feel comfortable answering. Or if you don't have the relationship, find the leader who has the relationship and put it on their radar screen um, of just, Hey, you, you might be unlocking some shackles there when you say, Hey, I know being a pastor's kid is tough. How have you experienced that? Do you feel these kinds of pressures? And just start to dig a little bit. Because even if they don't have clear answers, the awareness that their situation is appreciated and noticed goes a long way. That happened one time for me when I was in high school. It was one volunteer leader who took me aside and, and said, basically, hey, I know you got a lot of this put on you. Here's what I see. And he was blunt. He was like, Here's how you're a complete and utter screw up and also how you have amazing potential to be used by the Lord. And he just put it on me, not my last name. He goes, honestly, he's like, I don't care about your last name. And that was, there was, there was was almost a competing sense in me of like, how dare you? But also, oh, this is such a relief. And pastor's kids need to hear that kind of stuff. So bluntness and intentionality to just say, I see this. How can we help? I'm here for you. Can open up doors to a world of kind of spiritual and and relational release. Yeah. And I would say too, um, if you are the youth pastor and you have kids in your own youth ministry, give that freedom that Barnabas was just talking about, give that freedom and permission to your volunteers to have those conversations with your students. So that way they're not missing out on the church body doing what the church body does uh, and at least for your kid kind of step back and give them a good small group leader who can have that type of conversation and relationship with your own kid yeah absolutely so well thanks for joining us uh for this episode uh barnabas thank you for your time and for your wisdom And listeners, thanks for uh, joining us for this episode and conversation on Ministry to Pastors Kids. We'll see you next week. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. 
We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address, or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.